Hello, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Eglash. This podcast is co-sponsored by the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, as well as the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. The Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine is an international organization of physicians dedicated to the promotion, protection, and support of breastfeeding and human lactation through education and research. Our goal for this podcast series is to help you manage clinical aspects of breastfeeding medicine. We also hope to keep you updated with current research that may impact practice management. Any advice or recommendations in this podcast do not reflect official policies or views of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Today we're going to talk about human milk use in the neonatal intensive care unit as well as donor human milk. I have with me Dr. Kathleen Marinelli. Dr. Marinelli is a neonatologist at the Connecticut Children's Medical Center as well as an associate professor of pediatrics with the University of Connecticut School of Medicine. In addition, she's the medical director of the New England Mother's Milk Bank. Well, welcome back Dr. Marinelli for part two of donor human milk. I would like to talk more about this topic because I have so many questions for you and I think it's a very important topic to talk about. In our first part, we talked about why human milk is important for infants in the neonatal intensive care unit and what the options are for infants who don't have access to mother's milk. So now I would like to ask you if a physician such as a neonatologist, family physician, or pediatrician would like to have access to donor human milk, how do you recommend they go about contacting someone? Thanks so much for having me back, Anne. Uh, It's my pleasure to be here. And as you know, I'm quite passionate about this um, topic, so I am always glad to try and help um, spread information. And as always, you're asking great questions. Um, It's um, relatively easy these days to obtain donor human milk. Um, There used to be quite a few donor milk banks in the United States and Canada, and actually there was one in um, Mexico as well. Uh, prior to the early 1980s, and then we saw sort of the closing down of a large number of them when the uh, we became aware in the medical community of the uh, AIDS epidemic because there was great concern that uh, AIDS could be spread in human milk. And so there, for a long time, there were very few uh, milk banks, and it was quite hard to get human milk. Now that we know that the AIDS virus is uh, destroyed, in the pasteurization process and that I can definitively say that there have been no infections passed or no adverse effects at all with any human milk, uh, donor pasteurized human milk used from the uh, Human Milk Banking Association of North America, which all of our nonprofit human milk banks belong to in over 40 years of human milk banking here uh, in the United States and Canada in the way that we do it at this time, so it is quite safe. Um, We are having a resurgence of uh, milk banks, and there are now 14 of them, two in Canada, one fully functioning in Vancouver and one that's uh, in startup mode in Toronto, and there are 12 in the United States, one of which is mine, uh, the Mother's Milk Bank of New England, and I say mine uh, just because I love it and, and consider it mine, but I'm the medical director there, and as I said, we are a nonprofit. So, um, so a physician who would be interested in uh, ordering human milk would probably go to the Havana website, 
and look to see what the closest milk bank is to where they are located. And can you share that website address? It's www.hmbana.org. On that website, there's a map which shows you where each of the donor milk banks is located. And there's also a list which gives you uh, the names and the contact uh, phone numbers and email addresses for each of those uh, milk banks. So you can find the one that's closest to you and you can contact that milk bank directly. Uh, all of them have their own websites as well, so that's another way to get information about them. And, and the Hambana website will point you to those as well. And uh, you can talk to with the medical director or the executive director or the clinical director of uh, that milk bank to talk about how to go about it. So for example, uh, say you were in Connecticut and you wanted to order milk, you would call get in touch with the Mother's Milk Bank of New England. And although we are actually a, a, a new milk bank and we are just about to start processing our first milk, but for the last two years as we have been in uh, getting together mode, we have been uh, allied with our sister milk bank in Ohio who has been uh, sending us milk on a weekly basis and we have milk in our freezers which we are able to distribute in New England. And so if you were to call us, um, we would tell you what you would need to do. So if this was for a particular patient, say um, this was a pediatrician who had a uh, ex-preemie who was uh, not absorbing very well uh, and was on mother's own milk, but she didn't have enough and the baby wasn't absorbing formula very well. There's an example. And you wanted to order some donor milk. He would need to write a prescription because it is by prescription when it's for an individual patient. It could be faxed into the office and um, we would overnight uh, express deliver to either that patient at home or if the patient was in a hospital, we would express it to the hospital um, frozen, uh, the amount that's ordered. And usually People order enough for a week or two weeks. You sort of judge how much you need, and um, and we can deliver it to you weekly. We can deliver it every other week, however it works out best for you. Now, when you order it that way, um, the issue of who pays comes up. And donor milk is not inexpensive when compared to, for example, buying formula. But it is inexpensive, and there are some papers out there that talk about this when compared to the costs of a child who is being either treated for some disease that this is used for or uh, the most likely case it's used for, which is a premature baby in the neonatal intensive care unit. Some individual insurance companies will cover it. Um, some do not. Uh, some NICUs will cover the cost. Uh, generally speaking, when, in, when a physician is ordering it for a specific patient, the physician needs to talk to uh, the insurance company, and I've done this on a number of occasions for patients in my own unit, and sort of explain to them what donor milk does and how it's going to save them money because the baby's going to be discharged sooner with less medical complications and therefore a lower overall medical bill. Um, but it is time-consuming and it can be cumbersome. And so many of us uh, in the field of lactation uh, in the United States are working on a state or regional level right now 
to try and get a sort of uh, insurance coverage at a bigger level uh, for the use of donor milk as we also work on getting other services and lactation covered because it's so important and it ultimately does save so many uh, medical dollars. So that would be the case for an individual patient. Um, do you have any specific and, questions about that, Anne? Um, no, that that definitely answered my question. Thank you. So besides babies in the neonatal intensive care unit, based on the example that you gave, there it appears that there's use of donor milk outside of the intensive care unit for children who are home but perhaps not thriving or having other illnesses? There are. And and remind me to come back to the NICU again, the neonatal intensive care unit, because there is um, another way it can be done there and, and one that, that I'm strongly um, suggesting to uh, NICUs in my region. But, yes, there are a number of um, instances in which not only for children but, believe it or not, for adults as well, that human milk has been shown to be effective in treating uh, specific disease states. And the problem is that over time, most of these have come out as either case reports, um, which is just one or two or a couple who've been treated this way, or anecdotally, which means we talk about it, but nobody ever reports it. And, and one of my goals in being the medical director of this new milk bank is to try to get the milk banks and the institutions that are using milk and the physicians in the communities who are using this milk on board to start collecting data so we can publish. And so people will know that there is really solid data behind some of this. So it's a little harder to convince people for some of these things. But for example, because human milk is so easily digested and so gentle on the digestive tract, it has been used in a number of things like intractable diarrhea, kids who have diarrhea that no matter what you do, you can't get them to absorb. If you feed them human milk, they will often heal because of all the growth factors and the immune properties of the human milk, and they will absorb the nutrients. So these may be kids who are on IV nutrition and you can't get them off. Or for kids who have short gut syndrome, um, they either were born without their full intestines or they lost some of their intestines because of surgery or a disease process um, who are having difficulty growing without IV nutrition who have been treated with human milk. And again, because of its growth-enhancing properties and its immune properties and the ease of digestion, will begin to thrive with the use of human milk. Um, it has been used in cancer patients, both children and adults, because their bodies are so bombarded by all the treatments and the chemotherapy that we have to use to try and kill the tumors that they also have a lot of damage to the rapidly growing uh, and changing tissues of their intestinal tract. And so some of these patients have done really well in terms of nutrition when they've been supplemented with human milk. And, and if you look through the literature, you can find um, cases of, of things like this. So yes, there are a number of different and, and different wide-ranging um, conditions that have been treated. There's something, there are a lot of uh, diseases under the category of immune deficiencies, and one of them is uh, a congenital 
absence of an immunoglobulin called uh, IgA, immunoglobulin A, and one of the things that is in great abundance in human milk is IgA. And so those kids are very sick because this is one of the immunoglobulins that's kind of the first defense against bacteria and viruses crossing into our, into our body across membranes, mucous membranes like in our GI tract. And when kids are given human milk with all this IgA in it, they do better. So lots of things that we're learning, um, the potential for treatment with, with human milk. Very, very interesting. Really interesting. So let's get back to the issue that you wanted to come back to regarding another way of using milk in the, in the neonatal intensive care unit rather than having physicians request it per patient. Yes, um, and this is really exciting, and it's happening as we speak um, in various parts of the United States, but I can certainly speak to it here in New England because I'm sort of in the middle of it. Um, there's been more and more recent data coming out, um, and, and if anyone's listened to the first podcast, I, I spoke about that a little bit, uh, about how human milk protects these, especially the, the tiniest premature babies, against things like this very terrible disease called necrotizing enterocolitis, which can uh, not only cause the death of the tiny preemies, but if they survive it, can cause lots of long-term problems for them. Um, and other illnesses and infections in these babies. And the data that's been coming out shows that human milk protects them against this. And that even if they get a little bit of formula, cow's milk protein, that that protection is decreased. And so uh, some of the smaller studies have been added together and looked at in a way that's called meta-analysis, where they can take smaller studies and kind of combine them to get a greater power to look at what exactly is happening and see if, in fact, the results that they're getting are valid, and they are. And so some of the larger um, and even smaller neonatal intensive care units throughout the United States and, and here in New England have been looking at this data with great interest, and we're beginning to do what I've been lecturing about all over New England, which is to make human milk the standard of care for all low birth weight babies and, and different cutoffs are being used. Some are using under 1,500 grams. Some are using under 1,800 grams because of some of the more recent data that's been published. And what that means is that they, they order standard uh, delivery of human milk to their NICU every week or every two weeks, and it comes in a batch to the NICU, and it's there all the time so that whenever a baby is born who meets the criteria, weight or gestational age um, and and either ready to be fed on the first or second or third day of life and mom is still working and she doesn't have that colostrum or she only has a tiny bit, instead of using formula or instead of not feeding the baby for four more days while waiting for mom to get some milk, you can go right to the freezer and defrost that donor milk and begin the baby on donor milk feedings so that they're being fed when they're supposed to be and that nutrition is going into that gut and those growth factors and those immune factors are going into that GI system to protect that baby early on. And then when mom gets milk, her milk is given preferentially. And then if she has 
a, a slump in her milk production and she needs some help, we can go back to that donor milk, which is in that freezer or in that refrigerator, and give it to that baby for the length of whatever the protocol that hospital says. And these kids, we're collecting data on it, but we are all feeling, many of us are feeling quite certain that these kids are going to have better outcomes than those kids who are being supplemented with cow's milk formula. It's really exciting, and um, a number of institutions of quite renown are jumping on board. I, I'm not at liberty to talk about those in New England because it hasn't been announced yet, but I know that a number of institutions are working on it, and um, I think we're going to see a really big change in outcomes in these babies now that they're going to be fed all human milk. So we're calling it standard of care um, for the small preemies, and I'm really excited. And in that case, what, what is happening in terms of payment is that it's being sort of rolled into the NICU budget. And when people worry about that in terms of, well, you know, the budget's going to go up because we're going to be ordering so much milk, first of all, we sort of looked at our own unit and estimated, and it was far less money to pay for the milk than we'd actually anticipated because we also support breastfeeding so strongly in our unit that the vast majority of our mothers are expressing milk, and we work so hard to help them with their milk supply that they express most of the milk for their babies. So this is really what we call a bridge, a bridge at the beginning and a bridge maybe in the middle, and, and it's there for those babies whose mothers can't produce milk for them. So if you're, it's, it's meant to be a supplement for the majority of the babies. It's not meant to be full feeds for you know all babies, just those whose mothers can't produce milk for whatever the reason. But um, it's just really exciting that we're moving on to the stage where these babies are going to have better outcomes for something as technologically simple as human milk. And it sounds like we have enough evidence now to say that this is what's ethically correct to do for infants that don't have access to mother's milk. Well, many of us feel that. Some of us aren't quite there yet, and I understand why, because in the past, if you look at the data, which neonatologists always do, a lot of it's mixed, and so you're looking at babies who are fed mostly human milk with babies who are fed a combination of mother's own milk plus donor milk with, you know, formula thrown in there, and it's hard to separate them out. People are getting savvy to that now, and they're looking at babies who are in units where they don't yet have donor milk, so they're looking at, you know, mother's own milk versus the formula-fed babies. And in units where mother's own milk and donor milk are being used, they're trying to separate out who's getting what and how much and really trying to hone in on donor milk is the correct supplement, not formula. And the data that's coming out is supporting that. So I think we're well on our way that that the the doubting Thomases out there will, will come along, but some of them require more data. And I understand that. We're trying to provide it. So I have one last question for you, and that is um, if we have some lactation consultants listening who are hoping to work donor milk into their hospital, particularly in the neonatal intensive care unit, do do they need to help neon? Do we need to help neonatologists understand how to use donor milk? Is this is it is using donor milk very different than using mother's own milk or formula and feeding a, a, uh, a premature infant? Again, another great question, Anne. I don't think it's so different. I think it's so foreign. And we need to 
dispel myths. There have been um, a couple of surveys. Um, Nancy White did one, and I believe it was presented at an ABM meeting, um, but I don't think it's been published further than that, where she surveyed, and we did a sort of informal one around here, but again, we didn't publish it. Just seeing what physicians' knowledge of donor milk was, and you'd be surprised. Um, they really didn't know what it was. They didn't know if it was safe or not. They didn't know if we screened or not. They, I mean, truly didn't know what it was. And, and that's not surprising since most physicians who are out there in practice um, came through medical school and residencies and fellowships at a time when we weren't even taught about lactation and breastfeeding, let alone donor milk. So, you know, we're teaching about this stuff now more and more in the in, to the young upcoming physicians, but a lot of us Older people out there, you know, didn't really learn this stuff. So I think it's an education process. I think it's a matter of getting more data into the literature that the neonatologists are going to be reading, which means not necessarily the lactation literature, but the medical literature as well. And what I'm finding up here in New England anyway is that um, the lactation consultants in the hospitals are working towards this, and what they're finding is they end up needing um, a neonatologist or someone similar to come and talk to their neonatologist about the use of donor milk. And that's making a difference, I think. So the lactation consultants and staff at, um, in, neonatal, in neonatal units should not be afraid to bring this up, to leave articles around for neonatal um, staff to read and talk about it and encourage about it and, and let them know about the Havana website, uh, but certainly don't be afraid. There are a number of us around who, um, every milk bank has a medical director, so there are people in your area who know about this stuff, and I would encourage people to search us out, and, and we believe in what we're doing, and, and most of us are happy to talk to um, our colleagues and try and um, bring them up to snuff on where things are in the year 2010. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Marinelli. That's such wonderful information, and I can certainly tell this is an issue that's very close to your oh, heart as, as it is to mine. So thank you again, and I'm looking forward to updates on new research that comes out on donor milk as we gradually increase the number of hospitals that are using donor milk. Thank you so, so much thanks. for having me. It's been yeah. my pleasure. Thanks again. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. If you have any interest in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine or any questions or comments about this podcast, please email us at abm at b as in boy, f as in frank, med.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks.